listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Church, I'm, I'm encouraged just when I look around um, at what God is doing in your lives, what he's doing among us as a people. Uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, I sit out here a lot of weekday mornings uh, working on my computer and different things or meeting with folks, and so many people are coming to the fridge that we have right out here. And just uh, the fact that uh, your resources are giving to help support that fridge and the fact that conversations are happening. We have folks who walk here almost every single Sunday morning uh, because of uh, Tony and Chris and, and Ryan and other guys who are putting out signs out here on Saturday morning offering to pray with people as they walk by. And I was telling a, uh, another local pastor that this week, and he said, so people just stop and they, they talk to you and pray? I'm like, yeah. He said, man, we try to do that, and no, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to stop and have prayer. Nobody wants to talk to us. And I said, well, uh, that sounds like a personal problem, man. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, maybe the Spirit's not moving in your church. Uh, so I'm just, I didn't tell him that. I told him we pray for him, which I haven't done yet. So uh, and that's confession. I forgot about it. Uh, but I'm so grateful for what God is doing in and among our life groups, our DNA groups, even this past weekend, our spiritual conversation sitting right here and walking out of that time. And if you were here, you know, but I walked out of that time just feeling loved as your brother and loved as your pastor, knowing that this is my, this is my job, this is my task, but more importantly, uh, we are all here to, to listen to the word of God together. And it is authoritative. This is not like buying a car where you can add on the features you like and take off the ones you don't like. This is authoritative. And so we come here every single Sunday morning and we sit under this. And then we go to our neighborhoods, to the places we work, to our homes, to those around us who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And that's the mission that we're on together. And so I'm appreciative uh, to be one of your pastors. And so make sure you tell these other guys, thank you as well. We're, uh, we're in this together and hopefully uh, we're pressing into the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light by the power of the spirit. And so thank you all for giving me this opportunity. And um, I, would, I would encourage you and compel you. Uh, let's continue to press on uh, day in and day out. The days may seem long, but um, what is it? The, the days are long, but the years are short. And we're feeling that the older we get, right? So a couple of ways in the, in the coming weeks, really two weeks from now, that you can be engaged uh, here as a church, that we can be engaged together one of those is that we have Trunk or Treat, and that is on Halloween night. That's October 31st. It's going to be right here in the parking lot. So if you want to uh, volunteer to serve at that, you can sign up on the website, southpoint.org. Or if you can't do that, if you don't want to or whatever, I would ask that you would please bring a bag or two or five of candy. Uh, because again, we have, uh, we've put it on the sign out here, and folks are going to be coming by, stopping in. And our goal is not just to hand them candy, but to build a bridge so that we can share with them the good news of sugar, uh, of the gospel, of the gospel. So you can uh, drop off a bag of candy out here in the atrium or sign up on the website uh, to join us. The day before that, so two weeks from today is our quarterly partners meeting, and that's going to be in Locust Grove. Uh, and we have one of our pastors from there who's also my dad. He brought his wife, my mom. Uh, they're sitting over here, so make sure you give them a high five if you have not seen them in a while. Uh, but glad they're here. But we're going to be meeting in Locust Grove October 30th, and there's going to be a costume contest that day as well. I'm just kidding. There's not. Uh, I, I got shot down on that, but that would have been awesome. 
but that's October 3rd. So make sure, you, make sure you sign up to bring food. You can sign up for that on the website, southpoint.org, if you are either a partner or in the partnership process with us. And like I just mentioned, we can look back and look around at what God is doing. We want to gather together as a family with those in Locust Grove, like Monty just prayed. Um, and we want to celebrate what he's doing and what he's going to continue to do in the coming days and weeks, Lord willing. Lastly, if you're new here at South Point, grab a Connect card. It looks like this. You can fill that out, take it to the Next Steps table there in the atrium. We're really glad that you came to worship with us this morning. And we want to reach out and see how we can serve you and your family, how you can serve the mission of God with us. So Montgomery just read Daniel chapter well, it felt like he read half of the Old Testament, amen? Uh, but he read Daniel chapter 3, and so we've been walking through the book of Daniel for the past couple of weeks. And here's one of the recurring themes that we've seen uh, all throughout the book of Daniel. And we, I, we've mentioned that some of these themes are all throughout. But one of the themes that we've seen already is that God creates and the spirit of Babylon counterfeits. God creates and the spirit of Babylon counterfeits. Now, I have here uh, two pairs of glasses, two pairs of sunglasses. And if you were up here right now, you would say these are almost identical pairs of sunglasses. And as you look at these sunglasses, they're mostly the same color. The lens, lenses are about the same color. It's like a dark green. The frames are about the same color. They're gold. In fact, if you were to look at these closely, even some of the, uh, the etching, I guess, right here on the frame, the molding of it is the exact same. It's got the same little ridges in the same places. If you take the, the, the ear part, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you call these things. The ear part, that's the official name for it. If you take that out right there, even there's this fake tortoise shell that is on the ends. And as you look at both of these, you say, oh, well, both of these look like a pair of Ray-Bans, Right? Both of these look like a pair of Ray-Bans. Maybe you've been on the internet before, probably, but maybe you've been there and you've seen where they say, hey, today we have this crazy sale on Ray-Bans, and normally it's going to cost you $180, but today you can get three pairs for $40. Ray-Bans has been around for decades, but just for you, they're going out of business or something, you can get three pairs. And what's crazy is they're going to send you a pair that looks almost like a pair of Ray-Bans. Now, one of these is real. If you were to come up here and look, you could see, oh, this one actually has the little white Ray-Ban sticker on it. And that's because on these, the little white Ray-Ban sticker fell off. So until it fell off, it'd be really hard to distinguish between these two pairs of sunglasses. One of these is fairly expensive. One of these is not. I just gave it away, right? So this one is a pair of Ray-Bans. Here's a couple ways that you can tell. Once you feel these, you're like, wow, that feels a little bit heavier. It doesn't feel like light gold plastic. There's actually some metal in this. And you can actually tell when you open these up, they don't squeak and crack. But when you open up a pair of fake Ray-Bans, it's like, well, it's, it's hard for me to open these up and they're kind of cracking. It's like, oh, I don't know if these are gonna make it through the day, I'm not sure. I actually tried both of these pairs of, of Ray-Bans on last night. One of them felt good and looked good on my face, as good as it can look. The other pair, it was like a little cattywampus, didn't really make my face, didn't really accent anything. Like they would work as far as sunglasses, but they're probably not polarized. But looking at these, you say, these look very similar. But what's interesting, if you, if you take a real pair of Ray-Bans, there's etching, and you, you can't see this at all. And it's really hard to see even here as I'm looking at it. But on the opposite side of the lens of the pair of sunglasses from where the sticker is, if you have a, a real pair, you know this. 
But if you look right here, there's actually an R and a B inscribed into the glass. It's etched in the glass. That's how you know if a pair of Ray-Bans is real or not. And the reason that's important is because doing that process is very delicate. And so if you try to make a cheap pair of glasses into a fake pair of Ray-Bans, it's probably going to break the glass. That process is incredibly difficult to reproduce. So even though from a distance we can say, man, yeah, the, the counterfeit looks pretty real. And by the way, I'm probably going to wear these a whole lot more than I wear a, a pair of real Ray-Bans um, because if I drop them, what, not a big deal. But you can always tell what is true. You can always tell where the real one, the authentic pair of sunglasses is by examining it carefully. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to see that this is just another uh, another paradigm through which the enemy, the spirit of Babylon, wants us to see the world. And it is a counterfeit that has been set up. And at first, it's like, oh, well, yeah, the, the things of the world, these things look good. These things look promising. It, it's, it's a lot cheaper than this. But the things of the kingdom of God, where he says, die to yourself, it's like, man, that's, that's a real cost involved in that. But can I tell you, that the spirit of Babylon is offering you something that will not last. It is offering you something that promises life, but it is worthless. There is only life found in the kingdom of God. And this has been true for centuries and for millennia. The spirit of Babylon, we said this, it has been active since the fall of Satan. And it is currently active, and we're going to see it finally defeated in the book of Revelation in the future. So today, we are living in between this counterfeit kingdom as we look around. The spirit of Babylon says, look around, build your kingdom. And we're living between that and the final realized kingdom of God. So my prayer for you this morning, my plea with you, is don't give in to the kingdom of Babylon. Don't sacrifice the immediate for the eternal. We even see the spirit of Babylon uh, around the world. So there are, some, there are some real practical, tangible ways that we see the spirit of Babylon still active around the world. And we're going to see this uh, again here, duplicated here in, in, the, in Daniel chapter 3. There are some pictures I have up on the screen. We don't really see this in America, but just know it's the same spirit of Babylon that is the underpinnings of our culture. So this is a picture from, uh, from North Korea, and this is the Kim Dynasty. And they have these statues set up all over, all over the country. And th these are just some really huge ones, these some really uh, famous ones. But you see here, the folks come and worship at these idols that they have set up. And if you don't, you are persecuted. You are kicked out of the country. You are possibly martyred. The second picture is one that came from China, and this is uh, Mao. We can see here it's 160 feet tall. Now, Montgomery just read this passage from Daniel 3. Does this remind you of anything, this giant golden image? The third picture is, uh, this is modern-day uh, Turkmenistan. Everybody say Turkmenistan. Thank you. I'm not the only one who's probably mispronouncing it. Okay, uh, but... This is one of their leaders, a king, riding in on a horse, and the people are all gathered to celebrate his arrival. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, specifically the book of Revelation, this is what we call copyright infringement. Does this remind you of anything? A king riding in on a horse. 
delivering his people. The spirit of Babylon is active still around the world. And these are modern day pictures. These are recent images. We don't see these all around us, but friends, it's the same spirit that is alive and active around and among us. Here's our prayer, and we say this every Sunday, but I want you to repeat this after me. May this be true of us. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Daniel chapter 3, let's jump in. There's a lot of stuff we got to cover. I'm not going to read every single verse probably. We'll see what happens, uh, but I've got to get through this chapter because Caleb is preaching chapter 4, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday. We see here beginning of verse number one. So yeah, Monty, thank you for reading this. Verse number one, King Neb made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. It's enormous. That's what the author is saying. It's huge. This is probably about 90 feet tall and the base of it is about nine feet wide. Huge. He sets up this Huge image. Notice where it is. It's in the plain of Dura. And we've already talked about how the city, the nation of Babylon is centered around the place where the Tower of Babel was. And this is probably almost the exact location. So we have a lot of references and remembrances back to Genesis chapter 11. Remember when they were back there building this giant tower to God? Remember when all the people of the world gathered? We have the same thing happening here again. Here's what we see. We all want to rise to the level of a God. That's in all of us. We all want to show our dominance, our power, our control. Theologians, historians, they would tell us here at this gathering, there are somewhere between 300,000 people and a million people. We don't know for sure. The scripture doesn't tell us, but that's a lot of folks. Hundreds of thousands of people are gathered. Now notice, this is King Neb. If you think back to chapter 2, chapter 2, Neb has a dream, and he says, I had this dream of this giant statue, and his head was made of gold, and his chest silver it goes through bronze, iron, clay. And Daniel comes in and he interprets the dream, and he says, King Neb, you are the one, you are the head of gold. That's you. But there's going to be this stone that comes in and destroys the entire statue. And Neb is like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Here's what's interesting. I think when Neb was in elementary school, he probably got an A in self-esteem. Just given the fact that he here says, let's build a giant image. We don't know what the image was. We don't know if it was an image of him. It doesn't say if it was an image of him. Uh, some uh, historians would say that it was an image kind of like the Washington Monument. So like this giant needle pointing up into the, sty into the sky. Some historians, and this is probably where I would land on this because there's, uh, this goes back the furthest, is that historians would say that it was possibly an image of the god Bell that they worship, their most popular god. So it's probably this god Bell, B-E-L. And we'll see that crop up a little bit later um, here in the book of, of Daniel. Either way, Neb hears this dream. This statue with a head of gold is going to be destroyed. He says, you know what I'm going to do? So while he made an A in self-esteem, he probably really failed self-awareness. So he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a giant statue of gold. So that's what he does here. He builds a giant statue of gold. Now, he had already acknowledged at the end of chapter 2, this is important, listen. He had already acknowledged at the end of chapter 2 that the God of Daniel, of Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the true God. And so here he would expect them and everyone else to acknowledge his God. He's not saying my God is the only God, but what he's saying is I worship your God, now come and worship my God. It would only make sense. Quick side note, this is what's called pluralism, okay? You can look that up, that's for free. Verse number two, 
Then King Neb sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, the Wookiees, the basketball players, everybody else, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image of King Neb that King Neb had set up. Now, what do all these folks do? Why is this important? What do these folks do? We have no idea. Welcome to government, okay? Verse number three, he says, then the satraps, prefects, he says it all again. Here's what's interesting. We see all these lists of folks mentioned over and over. Same thing with the instrumentalists and the musicians. It's the author's way of saying, this is kind of lame. He's saying, look at how much time and efforts he's, he has put into this. He invites all these folks, again, Genesis 11, he invites all these folks from all over the world to come worship this and all these leaders and all these musicians just to worship this false god? Man, verse four. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the B3, the trumpet, the electric guitar, the bass guitar, to fall down and worship the golden image that King Neb has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Nobody, this, let me apply this to us this morning. Nobody here under the sound of what they're declaring to be a God is sending a quick text message, no matter how funny it is. Nobody here is checking the score. Nobody here is looking at their social media account. It's either sing or burn. Those are your options. Sing or burn. He says, bow down and worship me. Look at verse number six. This word worship is important here. It's used 11 times in this chapter. And it reveals the foolish heart of idolatry of Neb. And then if you look at verse number seven, we see this phrase, he set up. Over and over again, the author's literary purpose in saying set up nine times in this passage, because if you go back and look at chapter two, I think it's in verses 20 and 21, and then later in verse number 27, it says, God, Yahweh is the one who sets up kings and gives them power. Here we see in chapter three, it is Neb who is setting up this counterfeit idol, this counterfeit image for the folks to worship. Now, as we get to, get to the end of verse number seven, we, we had to answer the question. This is uh, one of the first questions that somebody asked me this morning. They said, I was reading Daniel chapter three, but where is Daniel? What is Daniel doing? I, I don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but can I tell you, if you're going to pick a day to call in sick to work, this is quite the day to do it. <laughs> we don't know where he is. It doesn't tell us. This is actually the only chapter in all of Daniel where we don't see Daniel mentioned. It's also the very end of where we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you're VeggieTales, Rakshak, and Benny. It's where we see them mentioned for the absolute last time in the book. So we don't know where Daniel is. No idea. We know he's not here. What we have, though, as we set this up, these first seven verses, what we have is basically a counterfeit Billy Graham crusade. Remember those? We have here a counterfeit revival. It's complete. We have someone saying, y'all worship. We have a counterfeit worship band. Remember back in chapter one, we actually had counterfeit communion. He said, eat this and drink this. In chapter two, we had counterfeit worship leaders declaring what the dream was and then trying to interpret the dream. Here we have even more counterfeit of the spirit of Babylon saying we have a fake God, we have a fake worship band telling you to fake worship and if you don't, we're gonna throw you into a counterfeit fake hell. They have the whole thing planned out. God creates Satan counterfeits. I would imagine that if you were to see King Neb, he probably doesn't even eat 
real Cinnamon Toast Crunch. He's eating the Kroger brand. That's how counterfeit and fake he is. If you were to look at Neb, he's wearing a Folex on his wrist. He's wearing a, a faux leather jacket. He's drinking uh, Dr. Thunder and Mountain Lightning. You know, that's, that's how fake this guy is. These fake idols that are set up. And we've defined idolatry in this way. An idol is this. Anything besides God that we look to for purpose, significance, meaning, or value. We have here in these first seven verses this idol set up as an expression of the counterfeit spirit of Babylon, primarily in three ways. And we could extrapolate this idol into a variety of, uh, of applications in our lives, but it's really a good thing that has become an ultimate thing in our lives. But here we see, and I think this would apply to us, the first one is that of nationalism. The first idol that, that Neb puts forth through this giant image is that of nationalism. Now, just for the record, I love America. I love America. Lee Greenwood singing God Bless the USA is great. Uh, Rocky Four is the best Rocky because the USA wins. It's fantastic. If you have an American flag flying at your home, that's great. I, I've never figured out how to install one of those uh, flag uh, holder things on my front porch. Otherwise, I would. I'm all for America. But there's a difference between loving your country and worshiping your country. If you are more concerned with your candidate winning than the souls of those around us going to hell, then we would say that your nation is an idol. Your nation is an idol. This image, Neb wasn't just saying, go and worship this image. He was inviting all of those in his kingdom to come and say, Babylon is supreme. This was a nationalistic image. Notice the three are okay with allegiance to Babylon. So far, all they've really done is they said, we don't want your diet. We'd rather become vegetarians. They're okay with allegiance to Babylon until it interferes with their allegiance to the kingdom of God. That's where they draw the line in the sand. Secondly, we see here the idol of ideologies. Now, they had idols that they could see. We have ideologies that we declare. Go ahead. I would, I would encourage you, if you speak out about homosexuality, if you speak out and say that a home is best served with both a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in the home, or if you discuss the, the negative lasting effects of gender reassignment surgery, or if you even mention some different perspectives on vaccines, or if you make jokes about certain leaders, there's a really good chance, friend, that you are going to be canceled, that you're going to be fired, that your book is going to be taken off of Amazon, that your account is going to be disabled, because we are not agreeing with the ideologies of our culture. There's a really good chance that you are going to be thrown into the furnace socially because you are not complying with the ideologies of the age. The third idol that this represents that I think is really applicable for us is that of tolerance. That of tolerance. Neb was not saying you can't worship your God. No, it's okay for you to worship your God. Again, this is applicable to us. Spirit of Babylon, very active today in America. You are okay to worship your God in private, but don't come into the public square and say that he is the only true God. Don't be trying to force that on us. 
It's okay for you to follow Jesus, but don't come out here and tell us how we are to believe or how we are to live, right? And we're like, yeah, amen. Yeah, tolerance bad, but can I ask you a question? When was the last time you tried to tell someone that Jesus Christ is Lord? When was the last time that you risked not even a fiery furnace, but maybe just some fireworks of pushback? Or have we become victims of the narrative of this culture, which says the good news is good for you, but it's not good for someone else? That's the ideology of the culture. And I would compel you, friends, just because the culture says, keep your religion, keep your belief to yourself, in your home, in your church, I would say that's not the mission of God. The mission of God did not begin with you. It has not ended with you. We have the good news for the world. We pick up here in chapter, uh, we'll look at verse number, uh, yeah, let's look at verse number eight. He says, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, king, live forever. Notice the Jews here, they respect King Neb, but notice how they talk to him in just a moment versus how the Babylonians speak to him. Verse 10, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of all these things shall bow down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Where do you think this fiery furnace came from? Probably from melting all the gold to make this enormous statue. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, if you think back to chapter one, uh, back to chapter two, who was Neb about to kill? All of these guys, all of the magistrates, all of the satraps and the prefects, whatever else they're called, they were about to kill all of them, but who saved their tails? Daniel and his friends. Man, how quickly they forgot. Here, they say, hey, look, uh, look at these guys. Now notice these three, the three, I don't know, musketeers, amigos, I don't know, maybe there's some of the other three. The three musketeers, they don't go in and say, uh, you know what, we're gonna protest King Neb. They don't come in with signs that say, hashtag never neb. They don't say, not my king. They don't come in with those. This is a silent stand-in protest. A lot more could be said about that, but we'll leave it right there. This is a silent stand-in protest by these three guys. It's simply non-participation. Here's where the culture wants us to go. Here's what it says is okay. You must do these things. And here's what these guys do. They don't stand up and start raising their fists. They just stand there. And sometimes, friend, simply non-participation is incredibly sufficient. If there are those at your work who are telling uh, jokes, maybe it's, about, um, maybe it's about the other sex or it's about race, they're telling jokes, simply not laughing at that or removing yourself from that situation. You don't have to come in there and say, stop, stop, stop it right now. If you want to, by all means, do it. I'm okay with that. But the application for this is I'm not going to participate in that. When the culture says, why have you not slept with her? Why have you not slept with him? You've been dating for like 45 minutes. Non-participation. I'm not going to, and here's why. Because God's design for marriage is this. I've gone out and either I'm not going to drink, come on, it's just a little bit, or you've had one or two, I'm cutting it off, I'm done. Like whatever that is, 
I'm not going to keep going into this. And so I would encourage you, we don't have to stand up and say, man, it's, I, I don't want to be belittled for my... Non-participation may be sufficient. That's what these guys are doing, non-participation. Verse number 13, let's keep going. I got to hustle up. Then Neb, in a furious rage, commanded that these three be brought to him. Neb answered and said to them, Is it true, O guys, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now notice he doesn't say, Is it true that you say that your God is the only true God? He doesn't say that. He says, You can have your only true God, or you can have your only God. Don't say he's the only true God. You must worship mine also. Also notice here that the culture, Neb, respects these guys enough to bring them in and give them a second chance. They didn't have their rear end sitting on their shoulders telling everybody what they thought and what they believed from the first second. They were respectful. Even the culture respected them for their stance. Now, now notice, and I want us to, to draw, so we, we have one truth there, uh, the definition of idols, but uh, there are several more that I want us to draw from the rest of this passage, how they respond. The second truth is this, is that you don't, only, you don't need God to only deliver you from the enemy, but also from yourself. Because we want to align ourselves with these three guys. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm the one who's being persecuted. As we've seen all throughout Daniel, mostly our hearts align with that of King Neb. Our hearts mostly align with King Neb. Man, look at what I've done. Look at how successful I am. Look at how smart I am. Look at the money that I make. And y'all don't want to worship me? You don't want to look at me? You don't want to approve of me? So who are we more like? The three or King Neb. We need to be saved from our own sinful tendencies, from our own desires, from our own pool of sin. Sure, there are outside influences all around us, but friend, most of the sin that we experience and delve into, nobody had to put it in front of us. Nobody's forcing us to speak that way or to look at those things or to cheat on those, or to lie. To you. Nobody's forcing you to do those things. It's from within us. We primarily need someone to save us from ourselves. That's what we see here. Verse 15. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, every, now notice he says real quick right there, every kind of music. This was a big celebration. This wasn't just one kind of music. It was probably every kind of music that was known in the world. Huge celebration. Uh, I want you to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? You think your God is so special. We think that as a society, as humanity, that we're getting better, that we're progressing. But can I tell you, that's not the case. If we were in King's Neb position, we would do the exact same thing as him. If we had all the money, the resources, the power, we would want to throw somebody in that fiery furnace for disagreeing with us. In fact, I would venture to say that there's probably someone this morning, if I said, hey, right outside, I actually I had a couple guys build a giant fiery furnace, who would you like to throw into that fiery furnace? You would say, I might have a name or two for you, right? In fact, we see our anger and our control issues bubbling up all around us in our homes, the way that we speak to our kids, the way that we bully 10-year-olds on the baseball field. It's the same attitude, it's the same heart that Neb has here. Look at verse 18. Uh, let's look at verses 16 through 18. 
This is the crux of this passage. Notice how they respond. These three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They don't say, O king. They call him by his name. Do you know how Elon Musk puts his pants on in the morning? What's the old joke? One leg at a time. Just like me and just like you. He's just a man with a lot more money than all of us put together. But he's still just a man. He says, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, these next three words. I would say this is about the crux of Daniel. As you read through Daniel, this is probably the most important verse in all the book. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Friends, three things I want us to see from these three verses. First, God can, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. God can heal your cancer, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. God can restore your marriage. God can bring your wayward child home. God can help to fix your financial situation. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. Believing that God can listen, does not presume that God will. Believing that God can does not presume that God will. Second thing I think that we see right here just in these three verses is that courage believes that God is not only bigger than the opposition, but that he's also better than the alternative. What they say is, Dear king, we'd rather go into the fire and be with Jesus. We would rather die in the fire with Jesus than to live with you in your palace. We believe that God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we'd rather die knowing him. Friend, believing in God, believing in Yahweh, following him, putting your faith in him, there's nothing that you're going to miss out on in this world. Everything that he has to offer, even in the midst of death, is better than anything that this world has to offer. What does, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21? He says, it's a win-win situation for me to live is... One more time. <clears throat> for me to live is... And to die is... Win-win. It takes courage to rest in the fact that God is bigger and that he is better. Lastly, as we look at these guys, even right here in these verses, they respond. What matters most to them is not deliverance, but obedience. What matters most to them is not deliverance, is not ease, is not comfort, is not success, is not the adulations of the culture. It's not giving into the counterfeit gods of the spirit of Babylon, but it's obedience to the one true God, Yahweh, who is forever on his throne. What matters most to them is deliverance, not obedience. I'll tell you this, friend. If your goal is comfort or ease, you will eventually deny Christ. 
If your goal is comfort and ease, that is not going to line up with the kingdom of God, and you will deny Christ. Let's keep going. Verse number 19, we see the furnace here. Then Neb was filled with fury, and the expression on his face, I think that's just interesting, that the author talks about the face of Neb. He's like, ah! Okay, just hold that image for a moment. I'm hoping somebody at home, as they're watching, like the, the screen just froze. I think that'd be awesome. His face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, this furnace was probably, just for a visual, was probably like a long tunnel, which had an opening at one end where they could see what was happening inside. And then at the other end, there was a hole where they could put more coal or whatever they were melting down. Now, if you build a fire in your home, hopefully you'll build it in your home. If you build it at your home, outside, Lord willing, uh, unless you have a fireplace, if you build a fire, it's going to get to several hundred degrees Fahrenheit. But in order to melt gold, in order for gold to be refined, the fire has to be about 2,000 degrees. That's real hot. He heated it seven times. I'm not sure how they measured that. It may just be an expression. They heated it up a lot. We don't know, but it was a whole lot hotter. The spirit of Babylon, if you're taking notes, write this down. The spirit of Babylon turns the heat up to get you to conform and bow down. The spirit of Babylon says, man, please do this. Agree with me. But as we look at the spirit of Babylon turning up the heat, tolerance always leads to totalitarianism. I don't have time to unpack this. But if you do not join our parades, share our hashtags, fly our flags, if you do not do everything totally the way that we tell you that you should, we are going to move you out of the way. We are going to discount you. We're going to take your videos down. You must agree with us. You must be as tolerant as we are. At least a totalitarianism every single time. And I would say this, if that's maybe your perspective or you struggle with that, if you need my approval, if, if you are so insecure that you need my approval, you may want to rethink your position. If you must have me agree with you, you may want to rethink that. That shows a lot of insecurity on your part. I would say this to you, though, as a believer, this is a reminder that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are not fighting. Our enemy is not the world. Our enemy is not tolerance. Our enemy is not a certain ideology or perspective or nationalism. Our enemy is the spirit of Babylon. Our enemy is not our neighbor or that person on Facebook. We are all victims of the enemy, and his name is Satan. So we see there the furnace that's burning. Verse number 20. And Neb ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind these guys and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Now, these mighty men, as you get this visual, these are guys who don't have a neck. Uh, these are guys who their dads didn't hug them a whole lot when they were kids. Uh, they're, these guys, they just spent all their time in the gym. Uh, these weren't really the valedictorians of Babylon High School, okay? These are the mighty men. So they come walking in and get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what mighty means, somewhere in the Hebrew, I think. He, he, they come and get these guys, and they, they bind them, and they cast them into the burning fire. 
They fell into the burning fiery furnace, verse number 23. Look at 24. Then King Neb was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, true, O king. He's got a bunch of yes men. What do we call that again? Government, yeah. Uh, verse 25. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Can I tell you something? That this would have been a miracle even if these three men had been consumed. You know why? The miracle is in the fact that they did not bow to this image that Neb had set up. That's the first miracle that happens. But notice right here as we look at verse number 25, Neb was really close. He says, the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Now, we can argue if this was an angel or if it was actually Jesus Christ. I'm actually going to tend to believe just based on um, the linguistic analysis of this, not by me, but by people who have more degrees than Fahrenheit, that this was actually Jesus Christ. So it wasn't simply a theophany something from the heavens showing up, but this is what we call a Christophany. Everybody say Christophany. This is the pre-incarnate Christ coming down to be with his people there in the midst of the fire. Friend, the fourth man will always find you in your fire. He will always find you in your fire. We see here that King Neb got off of his throne, but notice this, before Neb got off of his throne, Jesus got off of his throne. Jesus got off of his throne in heaven and stepped down and entered into the fire to be with these men. And it astonished this pagan ruler, the most powerful man in the world. Here's the truth that I see for us. As, as these men are brought out, they don't smell like smoke. Their hair is not singed. The only thing that's burned up is what Babylon put on them, and that's the ropes around their hands. Everything else, perfectly clean, ready to go. Jesus Christ will deliver you either from death or through death. But Jesus Christ will deliver you. And then we see the end of this passage, and this is important. We're not going to dive into this. But Neb, he says, you know what? This is amazing. Therefore, I make a decree in verse number 29. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... I almost said Jacob. What is this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Shabbat, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Notice, if you finish reading that last verse, and in the first three verses of chapter 4, here's what's interesting, is that Neb never says, this is my God. He says, this God that you've set up. We talked about this some last week at the very end of chapter 2. This is important because Neb never fully says, yes, I'm going to turn away from my gods. He simply says, okay, <laughs> your, your God's got some tricks. He's pretty cool. You can have them. And we see this going into chapter four. We see Neb never finally becoming a disciple of this Yahweh, even though he says, man, this is a, my decision is, is that he's, he's pretty awesome. Neb does not become a disciple, but he simply makes a decision. And this is important because as we get through chapter four, we're actually going to see where Neb's heart turns. But the important thing for us to know here, even though Neb acknowledges their God, his heart is not transformed. I want us to walk away with three promises this morning, three promises from this passage. I know we've had seven points as we walk through. 
but three promises that I want us as a church to have this morning. The first promise is this, is that the spirit of Babylon and all other religions are about imposition. They're about imposing their will upon others. But Christianity, the spirit of God, is about proposition. Friend, there is an invitation to the kingdom. There is an invitation to the heavenly eternal feast with the lamb. He doesn't impose that upon you, but he invites you to that. Secondly, you can make people obey, but you cannot make them love. You can make people obey, but you cannot make them love. What's our mandate? To love, to express the heart of the Father, to love in the same way that Christ loved. I'm not saying, hey, if you do all these things, then life is gonna work out well. Hey, go, go do these, go share with your neighbor. No, express love to your neighbor. Our mandate is love. From love flows obedience. But obedience is rarely going to actually produce love. We see here this, this counterfeit kingdom with this worship service and with this image and with this hell. But friend, the real true kingdom of God sent Jesus Christ, which is the image of the eternal God not some fake image that was created. When Jesus came as the image of the eternal God, he stepped into a fire that was hotter than Neb's fire could ever be because he took the wrath of God on himself. He paid the price for us. He was crucified. He was laid into the ground. And in the same way that these three men walked out of the furnace, Jesus Christ turned and walked out of the grave to secure our salvation forever. And here's the future promises. We look ahead. You can look at Revelation chapter four and five. In the same way that all the peoples of the earth were gathered in Genesis 11 and gathered here in Daniel chapter three, in Revelation four and five, all the peoples of the earth are going to be gathered and they are going to bow the knee, not to a created image, but to Jesus Christ, who is going to rule and reign for all time. And that is going to be the last time that all the people of the earth are gathered. So the promise for us then in the future is that Jesus Christ is going to present his people to all of the world. The promise for us today is that Jesus Christ is present with us, even in the midst of the fire. So we look forward to that day when we were gonna know him perfectly. But wherever you are today, Jesus Christ stayed on the cross to be with you in the midst of what you're going through. He endured suffering so that we could be redeemed. And because of his sacrifice, we could have faith in him. Because of his faithfulness, he calls and redeems us. And I would plead with you that if you have never put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would surrender the spirit of Babylon to a kingdom that is never going to end. Not to these false imitation idols, these gods that are fleeting, but to Jesus Christ. And he may call you to die. He may call you to step into a fiery furnace, but he will deliver you either from death or through death. That's the promise. Many of us want to avoid the furnace at all costs. Am I right? South Point, this one's for you. 
Here's the last thing. Even though we may want to avoid the furnace at all costs, it might be that Christ will reveal himself most powerfully to and through the church in the midst of the furnace. We love the story of Daniel and the lions. Then we get to chapter six. We love the story about, well, we don't like chapter one, you know, uh, eunuch, vegetarian, exile, all those things. Chapter two is pretty cool. We can interpret dreams. We get to be made in charge of parts of this kingdom. But chapter three, man, this is rough. We want the spirit of God to show up, but where does he show up? In the furnace. It may be that the things that we least desire might be the things that we need the most. And I'm speaking to us as a church. The things that we least desire may be the things that we need the most. Our goal, church, is not to run around and pull down the idols in our culture. Our responsibility is to share the love of Yahweh, creator God, Jesus Christ, with those around us. May we be faithful like these men. May we look to Christ and his faithfulness and to his spirit, which is promised to us. This morning, we celebrate communion, uh, this broken bread and this juice. We have stations set up around the room. I would ask us, in light of this passage, may we be repenting of not taking a dare on God. We said that these men didn't presume that God would save them, but they knew that he was able to. And so how often do we just wanna play it safe? Ah, well, I don't want God to disappoint me. Repent of those times when maybe you have not taken a dare on God because maybe he wants to say yes. I would also encourage you with this. Repent of being afraid of the fireworks that are going off around us. They're small. They're way up in the air. And repent of not having boldness to step into the fiery furnace. Because you might just find Jesus Christ there. He remained on the cross to be present with you We eat this meal as a reminder of that. Our greatest need is his presence, his love, his joy. It is promised to us. It is available to us in Jesus Christ.